Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What's up, plant people? It's Tuesday again, and that means we're back with another episode of the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives, careers, and general amazingness of some very cool plant people. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host and guide through these plant and natural sciences. And as always, I'm so thrilled to be with you today. How is your week going? I don't know when you're listening to this. I always talk about it being Tuesday because it is Tuesday, but you know, you could listen to this at any time. And that's the magic of podcasting. And I hope whichever week it is, whichever day it is, whichever year or millennium it is, I hope you're having a very good day. Y'all, I am very excited about today's episode. So this is one that took me a little bit of time to coordinate. And um, you know how I always talk about how I leave parts of my self-respect on TikTok? Yeah, well, it's true. That is true. But my guest today is someone who does TikTok right. So I started following this person a while back as I have descended deeper and deeper into the maelstrom of time-wasting that is the TikTok machine. And I discovered my guest when I was somehow ended up on foraging TikTok and mushroom TikTok. Yes, there is a TikTok for everything that you could imagine. And foraging TikTok and mushroom TikTok and wild food TikTok in general is very wholesome. So my guest, the chaotic forager, Gabrielle Cerberville, makes incredible content about the world around her. She goes out and forages for fruits and vegetables and mushrooms and everything else you can think of. Um, she is a master student in music performance, which is so cool. I, I love music. It's a big part of my life. And she integrates this really amazing sort of natural and organic feel into her compositions. And it is Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Really cool stuff. I'll post links to some of her YouTube videos in the show notes. But I reached out to Gabrielle one day, you know, uh, becoming a podcaster, you just cold call a lot of people. And I said, hey, I love your content. We are mutuals on the TikTok. Uh, do you want to be on the show? Do you want to talk about mushrooms and your experience of becoming very cool on this platform? And she was gracious enough to agree and it took us a little while to coordinate but this was such a fun conversation gabrielle is a wonderfully warm and outgoing and smart and delightful human and i know that you are really going to enjoy this episode i enjoyed recording recording it i enjoyed listening back to it so uh get ready go grab a snack maybe a wild snack but be careful make sure you know what you're foraging for and uh, get ready for a great episode with Gabrielle Cerberville. And I will see you very soon at the mid-roll. All right. Well, Gabrielle, thanks so much for being with me today. Um, I know we kind of tried to coordinate this for a while and I am terrible at emailing people. And so I thank <laughs> you. Thanks so much for your patience and all of that. Uh, but how's it going tonight? It's going really well. Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Uh, I think so too. I'm really excited. Um, uh, you know, we uh, sort of connected on TikTok a little while ago, not too long ago, but maybe just a couple of months and uh, your content's so much fun. And I, uh, I was like, for a while, actually, pretty soon after I like found your stuff, I was like, I've got to get this person on the pod. I think that it'd be great. <laughs> 
Oh man. Yeah. I enjoy your content as well. Uh, it's just such a nice little, uh, a nice little group of people that are on TikTok talking about things that grow. Um, you know, there just, there aren't too many bad eggs among us. I, I like to think that's true. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, you know, where'd you grow up? What'd you do for school? How did you kind of get to where you are now? Yeah. So I grew up in a little town called Milford, Pennsylvania, which is right on the, right in the tri-state area. So New York, New Jersey, PA, about 20 minutes from both of the other states. Uh, so it was fun. I was in the Pocono mountains. So lots of great nature there. Um, my family moved there from Walden, New York when I was really little, and I just grew up barefoot outside in the forest all the time. I think that was helped by the fact that I was uh, homeschooled. So, hmm. you know, I was just outside constantly. We would do our schoolwork and then my mom would throw us outside and we'd come back in with dirty feet all over her white linoleum floors. For some reason, she <laughs> thought that was a good idea. Uh yeah, but I was homeschooled until I graduated from high school. Um, I went on and got a degree in music composition from Butler University. I uh, finished that up in 2014, had some liminal space, and now I'm doing my master's degree in music composition at Western Michigan University. Wow. So what what got you into music? Like, where, where did that start? Oh, I've always done music. Uh, I come from a musical family. Both my parents sing. My mom is a music therapist. And oh, wow. yeah, so I, I was always very, very bad at doing the things that my teachers wanted me to do. But I was really good at making up the things that I wanted to do, uh, which has just sort of described my entire adult life, <laughs> if I'm being really <laughs> honest with you. Uh, yeah. But uh, I've been, I, I like making things. Um, I've sort of pulled away from a lot of traditional composition and moved towards a lot of like, a lot of ecologically based things, a lot of like hands-on, touchable, manipulable things that uh, people can interact with aside from straight sound. That's really cool. I think that, it, and we'll get into the like plant and I'm trying not to hit my mic too many times. I talk with my hands like oh, a lot. I can't, I can't help it. And it, it drives like I've, I had done another show for a while and it drives my co-host on that other show crazy. Cause I'm always, she has to, she has to edit all of my stuff. And every time I smack the mic, she just, you know, uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we'll get into the foraging and, and, um, uh, all of that a little bit later, but I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I am, I was going to call myself a musician. That may be overstating things a lot. I have also played music for a lot of my life in, in one way or the other, mostly just for fun. You know, I'm not that good, but I enjoy it. So I'm, I'm fascinated by your work. And I was watching some of your videos on your website earlier. And um, I, I'm curious about your creative process a little bit because, and I know that that's probably a question you get a lot. And I know that's not always super easy to answer. Um, but like, it's it's such an interesting like eclectic approach to art and music like how how do you work your way into some of the the things that you do yeah i think that for me it kind of boils down to a sort of hedonistic creative alchemy i just sort of <laughs> i sort of like follow the tendrils of things that interest me at whatever point i i am in my life you know if i'm really fascinated about a specific fungi, I'm going to find a way to just work that into this other project that I have to do. 
Um, if I'm really interested in like the ecology of this weird beach, like I will find a way to talk about that in my art. Uh, and I think that in a sense, we are what we're interested in more than we are what we do. Hmm. Um, and I think that for me, uh, that definitely rings true. That's, that's such an interesting way to look at life in general. And, and I think that that's, that's an important message. So I end up, um, you know, you're, you're working on a master's, so you're kind of in this, you're, you are in this world of academia too. And a lot of, I guess who I talk to or a lot of the audience I reach out to are people like students or, you know, faculty or, or, you know, just anyone who loves nature. But I I love the way you say that, that we are, you know, what, what our interests are. We are our passions in, in, in a way. Um, It's kind of cool to kind of let that drive sometimes, even when maybe that's not what's uh, encouraged or popular in academia. Yeah, I think it's a good way to get past those uh, those sort of like creative or intellectual blocks that we sometimes find ourselves in. You know, it's good to remind ourselves of the things that we actually love, you know, mm-hmm. not just the deadline of the paper or the deadline of the commission, but what are the things that actually motivate you to get out of bed and do things during the day? And for me, that's usually getting the opportunity to go outside at some point or getting to put a paintbrush on a piece of paper and just see what happens. Yeah, that's really cool. And it, and I think some of those like creative energies or, or some of those uh, energies in general kind of flow from some of the same places, like the, the love for nature and the love for the interesting artwork that is our, our world around us is, you know, it's, uh, it, at least for me, it has given me an appreciation for different forms of art and expression and things like that. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, so where, so, okay. So tell us before we jump into the actual, like how you got there, tell us about your TikTok channel. And so, (laughs) so, so two questions here. Okay. Uh, one, did you get into, did you get dragged into TikTok kicking and screaming like I did? Yes. Yes. My friend Pascal kept telling me I needed to get this app because she kept finding funny videos and she couldn't send them to me because I didn't have the app, (laughs) Um, which I later learned was a lie. You can watch TikTok videos if you don't have the app. Um, So I was swindled into this. (laughs) Um, And then like I started seeing people making these like really fun videos. And I'm like, okay, like I could get into doing something like this just to sort of like pass the time. Uh, Cause we're in the middle of a pandemic and there's nothing mm-hmm. else to do. I had just moved from like a very high stress job in the middle of Indiana to Michigan, where I was getting back into academia after like half a decade. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with myself. I was stressed out all the time. So I'm like, well, I'll just, I'll just make like a video journal of the stuff that I'm finding in this new environment. Um, so that's, that's how the TikTok started, I guess. <laughs> so how, then how did you pick? And, and, and I think that was a, the story of a lot of us getting into it. I was stuck at home and I, you know, I'm uh, probably a few years older than you. And I come from the, like the, the vine generation of like, I was so <laughs> upset when vine died that I really didn't want to like TikTok. Like I was like, I'm 
I'm not doing this. We might be closer in age than you think. That may be true. I don't know. Might be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, but I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's, it's the, the grief is too real still. Um, but I was so aggressively bored during, uh, uh, quarantine last year that I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And then like four hours later, I'm still like, you know, scrolling through videos and like, oh crap, it got me. <laughs> you know, you're sunk, like, you know, it's oh. hooked you, but, and it's going to continue reeling you in, but there's nothing you can do about it. No, you just sell out to it and, yeah. and try to use it for some good in the world. I guess. Yeah, you you start making videos so you can justify how much time you spend sitting there scrolling TikTok. I think that is 100% <laughs> exactly right. Well, I'm creating something. I, I have to be on it to see the kind of stuff I need to make. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. So, so uh, your channel or your is that what they call them tiktok channels tiktok account i don't know whatever i call it a channel uh, i don't know the young people i don't know what the young people do or what they I say don't either yeah no i'm used to youtube and vine and stuff so uh so chaotic forager where did foraging start in your life foraging has been part of my life as long as i can remember uh certainly not to the extent that it is now um But when my family moved to the Pocono Mountains, we moved into uh, a place that was right in front of a bog. And bogs mean blueberries. And so we had blueberries everywhere. Uh, And as a kid, I was I was the blueberry girl. Uh, (laughs) I would go out and I would pick gallons of them every summer. Um, It was an obsession for me. Um, Even as a teenager, I would go out and I would pick blueberries. I would. I would go out every day as soon as things started turning green to like observe the flowers and see them in every single stage. I was obsessed. Um, And I've always noticed the things that were growing around me, even if I didn't know their names. So as an adult, you realize that there are a lot of tools out there that can help you find out some of this information that you've kind of always wondered about. And the internet is great for that. So mm-hmm. I was, um, you know, as an adult, I, I still had that curiosity. So now I have a little information brick in my pocket and I can look things up uh, and I can learn more things. And, uh, you know, the interest in mushrooms came a lot later. Uh, and I would say at this point, that's kind of like the defining point of my channel. Mm-hmm. But um, but the interest in fungi uh, just sort of like solidified um, kind of a general understanding of the forest for me. Um, and sort of like, was that missing piece that sort of put it all together? Oh, that's really cool. I'm a little jealous. I wish blueberries don't really grow where I am. Mm-hmm. They don't, I mean, I'm, I, I don't live in the desert, but I might as well live in the desert, like almost, <laughs> uh, it's, it's hot, it's dry and it's flat and mountains are a foreign concept to us. Um, but I, I love that story of just, you know, you found something like out in nature that you loved and was like, I'm going to go eat more blueberries. <laughs> I think yeah. that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, what strikes me as really interesting about, about where you are in terms of your, your science communication, because you do great science communication, you really do, but you come at it from such a different angle than I think a lot of what I tend to see. Like I see a lot of the same thing a lot. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like I think there's a lot of people 
doing like really great work in SciComm, but like your approach is so, and I guess it's just because of your personality and what you do, but it's so creative and it's so fun. Like, I think it's really cool. Thank you. That really means a lot to me. Uh, I think that my science communication is the thing that I'm the most anxious about because Hmm. um, I know that I have people that listen to me. uh, And because I'm not a scientist, I want to make sure that things I'm saying reflect the science community uh, positively, you know, that reflect the scientific consensus positively. And that can be hard when you're having to essentially build a knowledge base from scratch without having that that background of like knowing how all of these things fit together scientifically. That's yeah, and that's a, such a great, a, a, such an interesting perspective. I you know I have done science my whole career. I've been you know academic, professional, whatever. Um, you know I, I spent a couple of years putting in landscapes and stuff in the middle of that. But like, I've been a scientist my whole career. And I think the, the, the trap we fall into, and I have found this in my own life as a scientist is that we don't continually do sometimes what you do, which is go and like dive into it and like fact check ourselves and make sure that we're backing up everything we say. Because like, for me, like, I've talked about plants for so long that sometimes I'll just throw things out there that are in my head. And then I really have to sometimes go back and be like, okay, like, is that still true? Is it still the, the most recent science and stuff like that? So I I think the, there's a interesting, fresh perspective of digging into science from sort of outside of the scientific community that, maybe we should be integrating more into the way that we do SciComm as scientists. I think it's, it's a very different idea for me. And I kind of really love that. Yeah. I think that it's a little bit like um, for a scientist science and the way that science is communicated is almost a native language. You know, you're coming at it uh, with, with this prior knowledge that informs how you approach everything and how you communicate it. Um, And I think sort of like how native speakers aren't always the best teachers. Hmm. Sometimes you need that person who's approaching it the way that a learner does uh, in order to communicate it as effectively as possible. Not in every case, of course, because scientists are amazing teachers. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm, I can think of 12 right off the top of my head, but I think sometimes having that outside perspective of somebody who's learning it like for a specific purpose and learning it the way that the audience is learning it can be really helpful. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a really good thing to consider. And that's, you know, something that I try to think of as I teach my students as well, but it's, it's easy to forget. I like that perspective. So um, in, in terms of foraging, like, I have so many questions and because it's not something that I've really ever done much of in all honesty. And and I don't know if it's just because of, of where I live or, I mean, that's probably a big part of it. There's not, there probably are more things to forage here than I think there are, but I haven't really explored that. So, you know, you, you talked about moving to a new place and, um, you know, having to sort of integrate yourself into that environment, to the nature there. Has that been a big adjustment in, in terms of like the things you look for and the things you find and all of that? 
So it was an adjustment when I moved from the East Coast to the Midwest. Um, okay. It was a small adjustment when I moved from Indiana to Michigan uh, because I'm only about four hours north of where I was living before I moved here. Um, But every ecosystem is different and all of these microclimates make such a big difference. Here in Kalamazoo, we're in what's called the fruit belt and we get so many things here that I didn't see four hours south. You know, we don't get blueberries in Indiana. Uh, in that part of Indiana where I was living, but we get them here in Michigan. Um, hmm. So it is pretty interesting uh, with pawpaws, another like amazing uh, native Am- American fruit. Um, we're at the very top edge of where pawpaws grow natively. Um, but then if you go a few hours South, you find them all over the place, go hmm. an hour North and you may not find any at all. Yeah. And that, that is very interesting. Um, you know, I live in a, I I live in Texas and it's a big state. And so, uh, an hour, you know, you drive an hour in a direction. It's like, Oh, look, there's still nothing. Like I'm still looking at nothing. Um, so the, those microclimates you have to deal with are, are, um, so interesting. I I wanted to ask, uh, you know, a, a lot of what you do on your channel is, finding different things, uh, uh, mushrooms, fruits, whatever. But then you also do, a, you talk a lot about like the preparation of all these different things and different recipes. Have, have you always enjoyed cooking? Is that something that's been part of your life? I didn't always enjoy cooking. Uh, I didn't enjoy cooking when I was younger. Um, I enjoyed like baking chocolate chip cookies and not cleaning up after myself. Right. Uh, sorry, mom. But <laughs> I I love cooking now because it's just another way to be creative. Uh, and when you're working with foraged ingredients, um, there's so much processing that a lot of them require. I mean, if you want acorn flour, which is such a beautiful flour, by the way, uh, I've never had a better shortbread cookie than one made with acorn flour. I. Mm. Uh, you have to do a lot of things to those acorns to make them palatable. You have to leach out all those tannins that can take weeks. You have to dry them. You have to powder them. You have to make sure that you have every last bit of moisture out of them. Otherwise they'll spoil after you turn them into flour. Uh, Like there is a lot of work that goes into that process, but the result is you have this beautiful ingredient that you can't get in a store, not easily. Um, And certainly when you're talking about foraged foods, it would be irresponsible not to mention like fermentation and all of these other things that you can do to create like really special foods that you can't get other places. That's, and that's so cool because we, I think we do fall into a rut sometimes of, again, I am not anti-grocery store. I'm all about that. Like, I think, you know, food systems are important, I think, but, but it does limit you into thinking that there's only certain things you can eat, that there's only certain things that are good and healthy and safe and all of that. Yeah. And Uh, it makes you think that all food looks a certain way. Um, and that's just simply not true. Um, you know, apples come in all different colors and, you can get greens that aren't kale or spinach that are amazing and local. Uh, there are succulents you can eat. There are weird fruits growing all over the place. There is so much that you can eat that doesn't look like food right away because we're so used to, you know, the same apples, bananas, and oranges. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, and and you know, I, I was thinking of an example from from where I live. We grow a plant. It's not native or anything, but it's super common in the uh, landscape called Turks Cap. It's I don't know if you've seen. It's a kind of a shade tolerant shrub. Grows four or five feet tall. Mm-hmm. Dies back to the ground at least here. Puts on these little um, like almost fez shaped flowers. Really, really pretty. But it also puts on fruit that are about the size of a dime. Uh, they're mostly seed, but they kind of taste like uh, they kind of taste. I'm trying to think of how to describe it. It reminds me of like an apple mixed with like honey and then turned down a couple of octaves. Like, like it's just kind of like uh, a real mild flavor, but you know, they grow every people that are in landscapes everywhere around here. We have a ton in our garden out here and uh, most people don't know that you can eat that. And, and I think of how many things, that maybe we're missing just by not exploring that a little bit more. Oh yeah. Uh, It's super true of uh, fruit and greens uh, and it's even more true of mushrooms. You know, the mushrooms that we can purchase in a grocery store, uh, most of them are exactly the same species, just in different stages of development. You know, the agaricus bisporus, owns the grocery store uh you know people like i don't like mushrooms i've tried all three kinds like well you've had a button a cremini and uh and a portobello that's all the same mushroom you've had one there are so many others and you probably had it cooked poorly yeah oh yeah no and it's i think it's a texture thing for some i'm like my wife says she doesn't like mushrooms all the time so no it's a texture thing blah blah which i get i mean that's i understand that but at some point it's like i i love mushrooms but or maybe i just love mushroom i don't know because like, <laughs> you know i mostly buy them from the grocery store i i think this is a, an interesting kind of segue into talking more about that specifically um and and i think I think you did a video on this. I'm trying to remember. I think you did a video on this recently about how scared we are of mushrooms in America. Yeah. Is that, uh, where does that come from? I think it comes from our inability to classify them uh, as readily as we'd like to. You know, plants, you know, we have some difficulty classifying some of them. You know, some of them are outliers, but generally they follow a set of rules. You can place them into pretty clear families. Um, You can generally, you know, figure out what's going on with a plant. Uh, Fungi don't behave in a way that makes a lot of sense to us. Um, Some of them are deadly poisonous, although there are far more plants that can do damage to you than than Mm -hmm. fungi. some of them uh, can make you trip. You know, there are there's so much that we don't understand about mushrooms that make them seem really scary. Um, and they're also not a humongous part of our diet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of indigenous uh, cultures have used mushrooms, um, but some have have not like specifically left them alone. Uh, because of you know various religious beliefs surrounding yeah. uh, surrounding fungi, which I think is extremely interesting. Um, but I think when colonizers came and settled, uh, a lot of the mushrooms that they were used to seeing back in Europe uh, looked an awful lot like some things that grew here uh, that were in fact quite toxic. So <laughs> you know I. They don't always look the way we expect them to. Uh, 
their DNA is weird. Just everything about mushrooms is, is really strange and alien. Yes, I think that I think aliens a good word because their their biology is really really fascinating, and I I know just a little bit. You know, I'm I'm a plant guy, but as and I tell my students this all the time that we uh, how do I say how, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. It we kind of maybe look down even on parts of nature that we don't have a good like mental category for, right? Like we we think of a tree and it's like, ah, it's just a tree, right? It's just a, it's just a plant. It's just whatever. When it's really this complex, incredibly intricate, incredibly sophisticated organism, it just doesn't live in the same way we do. It doesn't have the same kind of, you know, uh, quote unquote, intelligence is not the word I want, but something along that, right? It's got its its own like uh, driving forces, Yeah. Yeah. I did a video recently on uh, one of the most toxic mushrooms that we have here in the United States, uh, the Amanita bisporgyra or the destroying angel mushroom, uh, which is actually uh, frighteningly common here Hmm. in uh, here, like towards the east. And um, the the most common question that I got was, well, what's the point of this mushroom if it's so toxic? Well, Hmm. um, for starters, there are some animals that can eat it, uh, specifically like some insects, squirrels can eat it. Um, but also, I think it's really interesting that our first impulse is to jump to its usefulness or lack thereof, um, as opposed to just like being interested in um, its evolution as an organism. That is such a fantastic point because we do tend to uh, value things based solely on their utility and not just on the fact that they are right, that they exist, that they uh, serve a purpose completely irrespective of us. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're not there. I don't know. I, that, that is an interesting point. They're not there to like make us happy or, or feed us. They're carrying on their own biological process and, you know, we happen to interact with them in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all part of the same ecosystems. You know, we have beneficial relationships with fungi, um, but there are relationships that they have that really just don't include us. And that's okay. Not everything has to be about us. (laughs) We really struggle with that, don't we? We do. Human animals. Everything's about us. Yes, it's really hard for us to picture a world that has things going on that really just have nothing to do with us. And that and that actually, I mean, when you look at it in those terms and our inability to grasp that or our, our struggle to grasp that, it contextualizes some of the issues we have with climate change and the way we've treated our environment because we treat everything as it's there for us. And yeah. It, it, everything is either a resource or an obstacle. And when we treat things like they are just resources or just obstacles, um, we're bound to do quite a bit of damage. So, oh yeah. And, and we're, maybe that's one of our better skills <laughs> as a species <laughs> is figuring out ways to, to cause problems. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about comment sections and mushrooms and what Gabrielle's favorite things are to forage for. Oh, hello there. Welcome to the mid-roll. 
This is creepy as always. I, you know, I think I'm just going to sell out to that. The mid-roll is creepy. And I guess I'm not sorry. So I don't have a lot to talk about today, just some housekeeping stuff. Again, if you are not following us on social media, make sure you do the thing. Look up Planthropology on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, anywhere else that you would like to look for us. We'll be there. It's Anthropology with a PL on the front. Look for the Bristlecone Pine, and that'll be me. Also, you can email me at planthropologypod at gmail.com. Reach out on social media. If you've got any comments, tips, tricks, whatever you'd like to hear on the show, I would love to hear that from you. Also, if uh, you don't mind, head over to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or really anywhere else you could leave a review. I would love to hear what you think. Um, Whether it is a five-star review, which obviously I prefer, or just an honest review. I would really like to hear from you. It's what makes the show better. It lets me know that I'm doing the things that you want to hear. Um, I want to talk about Patreon for a second. I'm really bad at it, y'all. I, I just, you know, I've had a few patrons over the years and I really appreciate the support. But as you're listening to this, I will have already paused my Patreon. And I do that because I feel like I'm not giving back enough to my patrons. So I think what I'm going to end up doing here in the next few weeks instead is opening up a buy me a coffee account. And that is similar where if you'd like to donate and support the show, you can, it's kind of less strings attached on both ends. You don't have to commit to a long-term, um, I guess membership you can, if you want. Uh, but if you just want to say, Hey, I'd love to give five bucks to the show to make it better. You will probably literally buy me a coffee because coffee is really the only thing that keeps this program on the airwaves and in your bat caves. So anyway, that's about all there is to that. I'll have more information about that soon. We have some great merch coming up. And I I wasn't going to talk about this till it was done, but I'm too excited. So my friend, Sufjan from Twitter, took one of my tweets, actually, where I said, plants always win, and turned it into dope artwork, really cool artwork. And I've been working on some other stickers and some other merch and stuff like that. We have some merch already on Redbubble, but get ready for some more stuff coming out. I've got some great ideas. Again, uh, Sufjan's Plants Always Win Skull artwork, which I'll post in the Twitter thread and everything else that goes out with the marketing for the show so you can go take a look at it, is awesome. And uh, Sofiana, if you're listening to this, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a good friend and for taking the time out of your day to be creative on my behalf. I just, I, I love you for that. It, it meant, means the world to me. It really did. So anyway, that's all. Stay tuned for more new merch. Uh, stay tuned for more updates on the show. I'm thinking about starting another podcast. Eh, more on that later. Anyway, without too much more ado, let's get back to the episode. We're going to talk uh, TikTok comment sections, having a thick skin in social media and in creating, and we're going to talk more about mushrooms. Okay, I I would like to talk about the comments comments section on TikTok because <laughs> because oh my god oh my oh, god my god the comment section. Like, for one, I, I read some things. I'm like, oh, who would think to say that to, like, at all? Like, who came up with that that string of words? But is that – do you get a lot of pushback on your videos when you, like, talk about eating mushrooms, when you talk about foraging? Are there people that are just like, you're going to die? Like, is that is that a common thing you see all the time? Vikram, it is literally every video. Somebody tells <laughs> me that I'm going to die. Um, or somebody's like – 
check on her. She's probably dead. Like, oh my gosh, every time, every time. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah. It, oh yes, yes it is. And, and you know, I I'm I have maybe not reached the level where I get a lot of hate comments yet. Uh, I don't know if that's a level I want to get to. I have, you know, a fairly small following, but you know, I'm looking at your, your page and you've got 663,000 followers. That's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. Um, it feels like too many people. I wouldn't want to be in a room with 663,000 people, uh, much less having them watch everything that I'm doing. (laughs) Oh man. When you put it like that, uh, huh? (laughs) <laughs> maybe I don't feel so bad about the the 5,000 or whatever that I still wouldn't want watching everything I do. Um, and then unfortunately out of that 663,000, there's a lot of trolls hanging out in that, that group. How do, how do you deal with that? Because, you know, we, we are starting to live and not starting to, we live and we communicate and we exist in this like super connected, super social uh, world. And I think that that is what, maybe scares a lot of people off from doing this type of communication is is dealing with other humans because we kind of know how we are so how how do you deal with that that is the worst part um i really struggled with it for a long time uh i am believe it or not an extremely sensitive person and my feelings get hurt very easily um so getting a lot of nasty comments um And especially, um, you know, because I'm not a man, I get a lot of comments about how I look, uh, and usually they're not very nice. Um, So it is a struggle. And there was a point in time where I had to just limit myself to only answering comments for like an hour a day, and then Hmm. moving on with my life. Um, I do read the comments. Um, because it gives me kind of a gauge of like what people maybe didn't understand in the video that I made so that I can clarify for the future. You know, I take notes, but when it comes to just people who are trolling, I am pretty liberal with the block button. Um, and if people are sharing, uh, advice that could be dangerous, um, Mm. I block, report, delete, whatever I need to do. Um, there are occasionally times though, where I've had enough and I'll respond and I try to be diplomatic about it, but there are times where somebody's just pushed my buttons a little too far. And I won't say that I've gotten mean, I'm not mean to commenters. Um, but I don't suffer fools lightly. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not above making somebody feel extremely stupid. I kind of love that actually. <laughs> and and honestly, uh in preparation for this cuz that's that's a direction I kind of knew I wanted to go and I've seen a few of your videos sort of addressing some of the trolls and um and every time you do I'm like why do people suck so much? Like because you know you you spend your time and your effort putting out really great content and then yeah, I mean whether it's just people being jerks or uh, or which is usually, I mean, I don't know if people just need something to say or what, but, um, but I was reading through some of it and I was like, oh my God, th- these people earned being treated like they're stupid because <laughs> some of the things they say, I'm just like, this is unreal. 
Yeah, um, I try not to treat people like they're dumb right off the bat because <laughs> there is no nuance on TikTok. You know, I try to make I try to remind myself that I can't judge somebody's tone based on one comment. Um, but if people continue to um, just be rude for no reason, um, then then yeah, I'll I'll pull out the big guns and I'll make you feel real dumb. <laughs> yeah, no. And again, I've, I've seen several people on there that have wholeheartedly earned it, like jumped in with both feet. Like they were, they were asking for it. <laughs> uh, but I think that, I think that, cause I, I think the way that you approach it is good is that it's like, even if they're not doing it, it's like you try to approach everything in good faith. And like, maybe they didn't mean it that way because I've seen a lot of other creators, not just on TikTok, but on the internet that will like, uh, one negative comment or whatever, and they just come out swinging, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think we've all seen that probably a lot. And uh, I think that's maybe not the healthiest way to be. I don't know. I, I would imagine it just does more damage to you as a person. Uh, and it also lets trolls know that you're really, really bothered by them. Yeah. Yeah. Don't feed the trolls, right? Yeah. Yeah. Try not to. Uh, sometimes kick the trolls in the teeth, but only <laughs> after they've really, really earned it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on the, on the other side of that, I think there are people that uh, like genuinely as, as a creator, I know this is true in my, my life with the podcast and everything else. Like I found some of the like coolest people who just genuinely enjoy what you're doing and are really, really nice about it. And that's always a, a nice like bonus to, to what you're doing. Yeah. One of the reasons that I wanted to start making TikToks is because I kept seeing cool TikToks made by cool people and I wanted them to be my friends. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally legitimate. That's a, that's a good reason to do it as good a reason as any, I think. <laughs> um, so have you, uh, so we, we talked a little bit earlier about um, how you do a lot of uh, research before you post a video. Um, but how do, how do you pick topics? Because, I mean, I know a lot of it is about uh, different mushrooms, different plants, different foods. Are, do you, like, have a running list that you go off of? Is it just kind of like, oh, I saw this cool thing today, so I'm going to research it a little bit and do a video? Do you have, like, a process for developing your content? So because I've been foraging for a really long time, I generally know when things are in season. Uh, So much of my channel is seasonally driven. Um, So I know that like my peach tree is going to be ready in about a week or two. And then I'm going to do my peach video. Um, I know when the spice bush is ready because spice bush is always ready this time of year. Um, you know, things like that, uh, it is kind of dictated by what I'm able to find. Um, but there are some things that you can't count on. For example, it's been ridiculously dry the second half of the summer here. I can't find mushrooms most of the time. Um, the Hmm. ones that I do find are not prime or pretty crusty. So, you know, then I, I have other content I can fall on. Uh, one of the nice things about having over 600,000 followers is that there are a lot of questions in the comments and often there are things that I can answer and things that would be useful for other people to know. So I can kind of fall back on some of those questions when I don't have like something to physically show people. 
That's that's a really good way to look at it too, because yeah, I mean, seasonality would, I guess, have to be a big thing. And but telling that story too is important. Of um, you know, if we're really going to uh, maybe live in a way that's a little bit more oh in harmony with the world around us, maybe we do have to live a little more seasonally and and find things that are available. Um, a, a question I have watching content like yours is. Uh, what are your sources of information? Because I mean, there's plenty of research and all of that, but I feel like there's also like a vast quantity of like indigenous knowledge to draw on. So where do you find, uh, or, or so two things, like where do you find information and how do you balance trying to take some of these like cultural things that have been passed down through indigenous peoples um, with some of the things that are maybe more either Western or, or quote unquote researched, even though, there's plenty of research that goes into indigenous knowledge as well, or has gone into it. Yeah. So um, a lot of my information comes straight from the horse's mouth, especially when it comes to edibility to sustainability, um, because a lot of that is like solidly indigenous knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are some fantastic indigenous creators. One of my favorites is uh, 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 Lisa Ironcloud. Uh, She's Mm -hmm. on, uh, I'm, she's on Facebook uh, and she posts all of these like process uh, posts and things like that. Um, uh, I was recently in an article with uh, her uh, relative. uh, um, Oh gosh, what was her name? Uh, Linda black elk. And uh, she's also an extremely knowledgeable forager who I, is also an ethnobotanist. So um, we're getting, we're getting science, we're getting um, indigenous knowledge. Um, you know, there are actually several uh, indigenous ethnobotanists who are really awesome people. Um, the author of Braiding Sweetgrass, for example, one of my favorite books. Um, there is so much knowledge out there, but there are also like amazing super helpful peer-reviewed studies. Uh, And I especially find that with fungi. Uh, A lot of the good work that's being done is being done uh, outside of an academic context um, or outside of a university. You know, we've got people like Alan Rockefeller who does all this cool stuff with sequencing DNA. Um, You know, he doesn't have a doctorate, but he's doing he's doing the heavy lifting here. Yeah. Um, you know, got people like Gordon at fascinated by fungi. Who's a, uh, like a yeast biologist, but knows a ton about mushrooms. Um, so there's a lot of stuff within the community. There are a lot of books. Uh, there are a lot of articles. And then when you really want to get into the science of why something works, you know, there's JSTOR and Google scholar. So, you know, there's a, uh, it's always a mishmash for me. You know, what am I trying to talk about? Am I trying to like convey a, uh, like a scientific understanding of this? Am I trying to talk about like its importance to uh, a culture as a food source or as a medicine? Um, am I talking about like various ways that it can be cooked? So what I'm talking about and how I'm talking about it is going to be, it's going to inform like what sources I look for. That's really cool. And I think, uh, I I love that it is such a multi, 
Uh, so a multifaceted approach because I know, again, I get bogged down into this as, as an academic. And again, it's not bad, but it's maybe limited of, I got to go get a peer reviewed source and this is what I do. And if I can't find it, then I'm not going to talk about it. Like I struggle with that because when we write a paper, you know, that's kind of what we have to do. And, uh, I, I love the variety of people you, you draw from. I love, uh, I mean, I think ethnobotany is completely fascinating. It's such a cool thing. And I think if I had to go do, uh, you know, another degree, which, I'm pretty sure my wife would murder me if I <laughs> if she even heard me say those words. Uh, she put up with a lot. She puts up with a lot. Um, uh, it would be something like that. I think that that is um, such an important study, and I think it's such a, a cool area of research. It really is. Um, so, so do you have? Uh, maybe put you on spot a little bit. Do you have a favorite thing to forage? What is, I mean, you talked about blueberries earlier, so that's maybe like nostalgic, but today if there was like, if you could say, I'm going to walk outside my door right now and go pick up my favorite thing from the forest. What's your favorite thing to forage? It is absolutely a mushroom. Um, do I have to pick a specific mushroom? I think I should probably have to pick a specific mushroom. I can't yeah, just choose an that. entire. Yeah. I can't choose an entire taxonomical <laughs> kingdom here. That's not well, fair. It's only one of three, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have to say that my favorite thing to forage is probably probably like a maitake. Like I love finding those big polypores. It's just so satisfying to put them in your basket and know that like you're going to eat really well for a while. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I, uh, I need to learn more about that. I need to, to research and study mushrooms where I've learned a lot just watching your videos. And then I go around, I'm like, Oh, we haven't had rain in eight weeks with there's no mushrooms, but, uh, you know, except the only ones that I see a bunch, and it's when uh, th this is maybe kind of a I don't know if it's a funny story or a sad story. <laughs> I'm not sure. But as I used to do community education and horticulture, and I still do, but that was like my main job then. I was with the extension service, and I I went out and looked at people's trees, and I would get so many calls a year of like, "Hey, can you come look at my tree? There's something wrong with it." And I get there, and there's like again a derma mushroom, like the size of a dinner plate, growing out the side of the tree. I'm like, "Oh, your tree's dead!" Like, I mean, it's it is a uh, it's a mushroom yeah. farm at this point. Uh, so those are the ones I see around here the most commonly. That and the um, the green spored lepiota, the the chlorophyllum, uh, whatever that pops up in your front yard. Yeah, yeah, they're everywhere. <laughs> And people I are swear. Like, yeah. Cause I get a lot of those, uh, those messages, you know, my Instagram is like, I, I don't even want to look at my DMS, but there's just <laughs> so many pictures. Uh, and like, I know that I'm just going to scroll through and be like, yep. Chlorophyllum molybdides, <laughs> chlorophyllum molybdides. Don't eat it. Don't eat yep. it. Don't eat the mushroom. I know. And it's like, and that's, you know, and, and I feel like it's around here. I, I, t I find myself saying, don't eat the mushroom a lot because that's always what I get pictures of is we'll get a rainstorm. And then, you know, these cute little toadstools pop up and uh, like, Oh, there it, it's a fairy ring. I'm like, it'll make you throw up for two days. Don't eat that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what likes to grow in fairy rings? 
usually not tasty things. Sometimes, but usually, usually we leave those alone. A lot of Amanita yeah. like to grow in fairy rings. Oh yeah, don't yeah, don't mess with those. Um, okay, so that's you said a maitake, uh, right? You said that's your favorite. I think, think that's like one of my favorite things to stumble upon in the forest because uh, you okay. kind of have to be looking for it. You know, it doesn't stand out the way that like a chicken of the woods does. Uh, you have to you have to be paying attention to more than just the ground. You have to be paying attention to the trees, you know, be looking for that sort of sick looking oak tree. Uh, you have to be you have to kind of be on your toes. And then when you do find it, um, you know, there it is. And you've just got this huge, beautiful mushroom that you can take home and roast and do all kinds of things with it. So, okay, a follow-up question to that then. Is is roasting your favorite recipe for that? I have a few favorite recipes. I think my favorite way to eat it is uh, like stuffing. I basically spice it up like stuffing with way too much butter um, and then throw it in the oven for a while uh, and it gets kind of crispy. It almost is like eating Thanksgiving turkey. Although hmm. um, I am allergic to turkey, so this is the closest that I get. Um, but I, it's also a very good jerky mushroom. If you've never had mushroom jerky, I have not, it is a that very good jerky mushroom It's fascinating. I've never even thought of mushroom jerky. Hmm. Okay. I see. Now I have a list of things I need to try for sure. That's pretty <laughs> cool. Um, Gosh, I, I feel like I could ask you like a hundred more questions, but I don't want to take your whole night. I may have to have you back on again sometime because I will think of more questions. Um, that would be great. Uh, so so something I ask all my guests um, uh, before I let them get away is if you had a piece of advice for, for people listening, and it can be about foraging, about mushrooms, about life in general. If there was like one thing that you really wanted – our, our listeners to take away with them? What would that be? Um, I'll keep it on topic. Um, I think that if there's one thing you could take away, it is that you are a part of the place where you live. Hmm. And because you are a part of the place that you live, you should care about what happens to it. You should care about the things that grow there and the things that live there because all of that affects you. You should care about your water because that affects you and it affects where you live and you are a part of where you live. I love that. That's super important. I, I love that a lot. Uh, Gabrielle, I, that uh, 48 minutes went pretty quick for me. I was just so <laughs> fascinated by uh, everything you were talking about. Um, so again, yeah, I would love to have you back on sometimes and sometime and maybe we can dig more into one of the really cool things that you uh, brought up today, but um, where all can we find you? Where where can people look you up? Yeah, so on TikTok, of course, I'm Chaotic Forager. Uh, I'm also Chaotic Forager on Instagram, which I'm very bad at using. Uh, I do <laughs> technically have that Twitter that I haven't figured out how to use. Uh, I think I was able to make one tweet. I can't figure out how to retweet anything, and then we're just going <laughs> to leave it at that. Um, but you can, if you want to reach out to me, you can also email me at chaoticforager at gmail.com. Okay, cool. Well, I, I, I mean, again, I really thoroughly enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. And, Thank you so uh, much for having me. It was just a delight. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm again, I'm glad we could get it worked out and that we could talk, but, um, we'll have you back on again, but, uh, 
folks thanks for listening as always y'all are cool uh keep being kind to each other keep you know enjoying nature go do some research uh follow gabrielle and go see if you can find some cool things to forage in your world but i love you guys and we will talk next time Oh, what I could possibly say that would be better than you are a part of the place that you live. So I'm not even going to try. I'm going to leave it at that. Y'all, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Gabrielle again for being on the show. Uh, it is because of you as listeners and nice, wonderful folks like Gabrielle's guests that I get to do this thing. Also, thanks so much, as always, to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for sponsoring and supporting and just being fans of this show it means the world that my uh supervisors my bosses the department the college are also in on this and i i love it so much and we're gonna in the new year hear a lot more from folks that are part of this department of plant and soil soil science and part of the college of ag science and natural resources here at texas tech so i'm really excited about getting to talk to more of my colleagues again and getting them on the show uh, again go find the show on social media leave a lit rating review make sure you're subscribed tell a friend about planthropology if you know someone that you think would love this content great conversations with wonderful people and nerdy plant science and some dad jokes let them know so thank you for being a part of this thank you for listening you know that i love you keep being kind keep being cool and i will talk to you soon You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.